Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host, Chris Caraggio. Hey, everyone. Welcome to yet another Healthcare Executive Podcast. I am your host, Chris Caraggio, and today's episode is called Behavioral Health Treatment and Access in Turbulent Times. And we have the perfect guest. Uh, He is Dr. John Boyd. We're going to talk with him in just a moment, but first a little bit more about John. He is the CEO of Mental Health and Addiction Care at Sutter Health, serving California and Hawaii. John has an extensive background in healthcare administration, including mental health. Now, prior to joining Sutter in 2008, he worked at Kaiser Permanente Sacramento Medical Center and Shriners Hospitals for Children, and has worked as a therapist in several organizations throughout his career. Dr. Boyd served on the State of California Mental Health Services Oversight and Accountability Commission, appointed by then Governor Jerry Brown. He's also on the board of Mental Health America and the Steinberg Institute and on the advisory council for the movement for global mental health, the Wellbeing Trust and Mental Health America of Hawaii. Now he established and chairs the National Behavioral Health Council with over 40 health system participants. Dr. Boyd earned his MHA at the University of Southern California and his doctorate in psychology at CSPP, which is California School of Professional Psychology. And finally, he is a fellow with the American College of Healthcare Executives. Dr. Boyd, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Chris. Thank you for having me, and thank you, ACHE. Well, you have done so much. Uh, I just laid it out there. You've done so much in your career, so uh, we're so glad that we got you on this episode. Uh, We mentioned uh, behavioral health treatment and access in turbulent times. That's the official topic. We're going to cover lots of things in the next uh, 20, 25 minutes or so. But let's start, before we actually begin the conversation, doctor, let's just start with a couple of pre-COVID-19 statistics, okay, uh, on this topic, this overall topic. Um, let me just go over them really quick. Nearly one in five Americans, uh, they have a behavioral health disorder, um, that is uh, that is the latest stat there. Now, global rates of anxiety and depression have increased 10 to 15 percent over the last decade. In ACHE's own survey of top issues facing hospital CEOs, behavioral health and addiction issues jumped from number five on that list to number three now. Um, and even more so, in fact, ACHE has an entire feature on this very topic in the most recent issue of the Healthcare Executive Magazine. Um, so, Dr. Boyd, uh, you know, having said all that and hearing those increased numbers, from your professional perspective, why have those numbers increased? W- what's been going on over recent years? Yeah, Chris, hey, I appreciate that question. Um, and again, I really appreciate ACHE's commitment and growing commitment to uh, actively address issues of mental health and addiction care. We know that these are issues that impact our communities. They impact our patients, the people we have the privilege of caring for every day. Uh, they impact our physicians um, and our frontline employees, and they impact us. They can impact us. So uh, I want to acknowledge that. And, you know, the reality of uh, where we are now has to be informed as it relates to the topic of mental health and addiction care by the reality of where we were before COVID-19. 
frankly, we know uh, that stigma remained a significant barrier for accessing treatment pre-COVID, and that continues throughout COVID, although through the role of uh, media and others actively talking about mental health and addiction care, which, which I like to think of as, as human health, we are, we are slowly making some turns in terms of our own ability to openly uh, talk about uh, mental health and addiction challenges that we may have or those that are closest to us. And so again, stigma was a barrier, it continues to be a barrier, and we need to be able to ensure that we create organizations, healthcare systems, and communities where it's okay for our young people as, as, as well as others on uh, the age continuum to openly talk about needing additional mental health support. We know that access has been problematic for both mental health and addiction care needs, and that is directly linked to parity. We know that societal pressures continue to increase. People are losing their jobs. Um, we have changed the, the uh, daily um, predictable habits of our young people appropriately and safely so in terms of their school attendance and other rhythms of how they connect with their peers uh, and their friends. And that's had a, a tremendous impact in some cases of social isolation. And that has continued uh, as we move, uh, move into COVID. And we know, frankly, that we need to do more research and have advanced treatment developed um, for, for those with serious mental illness or other significant mental health challenges. And that research need and that care advancement need continues as we move through COVID. And we need to ensure that in the area of mental health and addiction care, we are keeping up with the appropriate standards of bringing human design back into healthcare. And that means bringing human design back into mental health and addiction care, that we are creating uh, access points and care, care settings that are the type that people actually do want to come to and they do want to access. And a part of that, for example, is virtual mental health and addiction care services, which we have learned a tremendous amount about. Okay, so those were, you know, uh, issues pre-COVID-19 with those increasing numbers. And I know you laid out a lot of the reasons for that and the ways that uh, uh, health organizations like Sutter Health kind of tries to get out ahead of that. But let's, and you, and you, a couple of times there, doctor, you mentioned here in this COVID time. So let's talk specifically about that because because those numbers were going up before COVID-19. Now you throw this and it's a whole new ball game because research, uh, or at least early research, has come back and it is indeed showing that mental health for children and adults is suffering. And you know, you look at things like, you know, the the the, the fear of contracting this virus and and the challenges of social distancing and sheltering in place and all that comes with that. And then of course the thought of 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 unemployment creeps in. So, so with all those factors, doctor, wh what are, what are you seeing now during this pandemic time when it comes to, to mental health in, in your communities? We continue to see people struggle with how to navigate appropriate access to mental health care. So navigation and knowing where to go to, to see, receive that, that uh, appropriate type of mental health and addiction care continues 
to be a, a real challenge for many individuals and many family members. So uh, that that does continue. An increase in depression and anxiety that can result from multiple sources, including perhaps already previous strains in terms of family dynamics and relationships that get amplified as more time gets spent together. In absence of learning new tools and different tools to do that, that can be significant um, uh, stressors. You know, job loss, you know, job loss and the impact of job loss and financial stress, uh, for instance, in the area of suicide, is is tremendous. We we know that people die by suicide for a variety of reasons. One of those reasons uh, does include mental health challenges, but other reasons, um, including significant financial stress and job loss, can be a strong contributing factor. So, anecdotally, we expect as we go into um, uh, living life uh, in this way and the um, impacts that we know we will expect to continue to see, that it will continue to have significant stress on individuals' uh, mental health. So uh, we continue to, to see that. In terms of what Sutter Health is doing, you know, throughout COVID uh, as just one example, and, and what we'll continue to do include things like telehealth. I've referenced that briefly. But really, telehealth is where you're able to deliver telepsychiatry in emergency rooms or telemental health services in emergency rooms and ambulatory care settings that allow people to continue to, to access the mental health support that we know can be life-saving and that they continue to count on. So we have expanded our, our area of expertise, and that has proven to be tremendously successful from the patient's perspective and the utilization of that modality has been has been significant ensuring that we continue to integrate mental health into primary care uh, is going to be important for all of us you know when an individual for instance uh, during covid goes to their primary care provider and and we know that we're living in a time where there are increased mental health and addiction stressors all of us need to be screened appropriately in those environments and linked to the right level of care. So we continue to expand our commitment to mental health and, and primary care as a key access point for people always, but especially during times like COVID when there may be more limited access to uh, other healthcare providers. So those are, are just a few things that we've been seeing and a few things that we've been doing at Sutter Health to help support the mental health and addiction care needs of the communities that we serve. Um, Dr. But, but the rates, go ahead, Chris. No, I, I was going to say, mentioned Chris, emergency you. rooms yeah, just, just recently, and I wanted to touch on that a little bit because um, I understand a significant number of mental health cases pre-COVID-19 uh, comes through what we call now emergency departments, but emergency rooms. But I, I guess a pressing question, obviously, now in COVID-19, are, are, from your perspective, are we, seeing, are we seeing less cases present itself in these emergency department settings because of fear of, you know, sitting there with a possible COVID-19 patient sitting next to you? In the beginning of COVID-19, our experience uh, was that there was a significant drop around the country 
in terms of individuals presenting to emergency rooms for the single need of psychiatric emergent care. Our guess is those people were staying home because they did not feel safe going into those into those emergency rooms. Anecdotally, I am hearing and we are experiencing that these volumes are returning. Uh, and of course, that can shift based on the geography and the other COVID hotspots around the country. But generally speaking, uh, people are starting to return back to the emergency room. Oftentimes, again, it's a last resort to get uh, emergency psychiatric care uh, and support. What we are also seeing anecdotally is an increase in acuity, and there needs to, of course, be research done as it relates to the causes of this. But in conversations with several of my colleagues, it's acuity as a result of the stressors we've already talked about, job loss, other dynamics uh, in, in the home setting or changes to the school setting. So those those continue to have an impact, but also the delay in seeking care. Some people have gone weeks, perhaps even two to three months without accessing mental health uh, care that they need because they they may be fearful uh, as it relates to contracting COVID or there may just not be a place to access those services. And again, what we've done at Sutter Health is expand our telehealth options for individuals to get that life-saving support for mental health and addiction care more conveniently and uh, safely. Yeah, that telehealth option is such a vital one, especially right now. Let's shift a little bit, doctor, to along with COVID-19, you know, recently we have also seen a huge movement around racial injustice. So what, we're curious, what's, what's the impact in, in communities you serve uh, uh, around these recent events regarding mental health and, and how do disparities uh, specifically in care for minorities and other marginalized groups impact mental health? Yes, thank you so much for that thoughtful question, Chris. Okay. I'm going to start with a statement that, of course, everybody's experience is different. And so I really want to respect and honor the voices of those that come from these communities and you know, uh, we are all uh, made the richer, so to speak, as we take time to listen to those that have been directly marginalized because of their racial or ethnic background. And those stories have been profound as they have surfaced across the nation, you know, everything from the media to the work setting in terms of active conversations and much needed conversations as it relates to the impact. The impact is tremendous. You know, the stressors associated with feeling physically or emotionally unsafe because of the color of your skin or because of your sexual orientation, those stressors are tremendous. To know that you could possibly, you know, be fired from your job or being treated differently by the very people that are uh, there to protect you has a profound uh, mental health impact. Just taking one example of marginalized community, you know, as it relates to LGBTQ plus youth, the statistics are jarring. The Trevor Project, which is well respected uh, around the country and around the world, deals with issues and needs and uh, recognizes the journey of LGBTQ plus youth. And they have found that 39% as an example of LGBTQ plus youth 
um, and more than half of transgender and non-binary youth seriously consider attempting suicide in the past 12 months. Uh, 71% of uh, LGBTQ plus youth report feeling sad or hopeless for at least two weeks in the past year. And uh, there are many reasons for that. Um, Discrimination is incredibly destructive. Uh, When you're the individual that grows up in a community and a structure that has discrimination embedded in its settings uh, across the community footprint, it's it's, it's, um, heartbreaking in terms of the devastation that that causes. So, you know, when an individual that, you know, identifies as an LGBTQ individual or uh, an individual that, you know, is black as an example, sees another individual that, that is either LGBTQ or, or black experience violence or oppression, that has also a profound impact on them because they know that they are one of those individuals as well. And so I'm really looking forward that this, this conversation continues to produce meaningful change, that we continue to recognize the harm that the systems we've created are doing and that we as individuals are perhaps contributing to. But, you know, the health equity as it relates issues, as it relates to individuals of the diversity backgrounds and variables that we've referenced can also at times create access uh, barriers for them or uh, can, can mean that they end up in care settings that are supposed to help them know them, support them and treat them that actually turn them away, either actively or passively, by not treating them in a personalized way based on how they want to be recognized and treated. So thank you for that thoughtful you question, got it. Chris. You got it. Um, let's talk a little bit now about community outreach and partnerships. And again, we touch on this in the most recent issue of the Healthcare Executive Magazine, but what about Sutter Health's initiatives and, and the impact that you've seen regarding partnerships and community outreach? You know, the reality is that our commitment to partnership is based on a variety of, of reasons. One of those reasons is that we recognize the reality that mental illness and addiction, addiction uh, care and illness is the only health condition that can actually get you arrested, homeless, in jail. And to that end, we know that we need to touch every aspect of community organizations and agencies, both public as well as private, to ensure that those organizations are integrating and incorporating as appropriate uh, evidence-based standards and care for those with mental health challenges and addiction needs. And those can be, for instance, courts that get are specifically designed uh, to support those with mental health challenges or addiction care needs is just one example. Uh, it means that we embed mental health professionals within our schools. It means that we have embedded people that are known as peers or consumers. Those are individuals with lived experience, real life experience that that we've integrated them into our uh, healthcare delivery system because research shows us they can be uh, incredibly effective in terms of supporting others with mental health needs and addiction needs in the healthcare setting. So we recognize that, that, that in order to do 
that work in terms of impacting community at a larger scale, including policy, that we needed partners. And so those partners include, for instance, Mental Health America, uh, which has been around since the early 1900s that, you know, respectfully recognize that we must impact individuals' mental health before stage four, before it becomes most acute. And so they're actively working in Washington, D.C. with national policymakers and elected officials to ensure that mental health and addiction care uh, is being adequately addressed there. In the state level in California, we have the Steinberg Institute that does significant work as it relates to mental health and addiction care uh, in California, both at the governor to the legislative uh, arm of the state. We partnered with Living Works, uh, which is an internationally recognized uh, suicide prevention, education, and training platform. Uh, in fact, we have trained over 300 of our own employees uh, in the area of suicide prevention so that they can be integrated within our own workforce, and we're going to continue to do that. So very pleased about that work. We've got the Stability Network as a partner. Uh, the Stability Network realizes that, uh, of course, mental health challenges and addiction challenges impact us all. It doesn't matter whether you're a CEO or, you know, frontline worker. Uh, mental health and addiction care can can affect us all. And so the Stability Network has brought professionals uh, together around the country to share their own stories as it relates to mental health and addiction care challenges. And that really helps transform the culture because it models open conversations within the workplace by others that oftentimes um, aren't recognized or immediately thought of if there is such a thing as, as having a mental health challenge. So that helps break that stigma. What about, Dr. Caring for the caregivers. I know it's a very important topic, and you've actually published some pieces on mental health in the workforce. What's um, during this pandemic time? What is Sutter Health doing to help to help out the staff and and, and treat the staff's mental health here during this current time? Absolutely. You know what we've done at Sutter Health is we've we've learned from our friends up in Canada who were the real leaders of workplace mental health. And uh, we started this journey now probably approximately two to three years ago. And caring for our, our employees and our teammates for some of our health systems equates to caring for the needs of a medium or large city as an example, you know? And so by ensuring that we're reaching out and to our own workforce in that context, and sharing evidence-based education and information as it relates to mental health and addiction care in practical ways that they can understand and apply to their own lives is essential. There's so much information out there, uh, and it's difficult to sift through and understand what's accurate, what's not, what's evidence-based, and what's not. And so we really try to make that an easy process for our employees and to try to provide them that information in a digestible way. And what we know is social connection in the workplace is essential to supporting everybody's mental health. You know, we know that oftentimes we're talking uh, and working with individuals, maybe sometimes more than our own families. So by building appropriate social connections, not only is that a protective factor 
for mental health and addiction care. Uh, it's also a way in which you can know someone well enough to where if you see a shift in their behavior, you can have some, some healthy conversations around what support they may need and what they might want. Yeah. And so fostering and fueling a, a culture of social connection has been key. And of course, EAP. Yes, yes. Finally, doctor, you know, we mentioned this in, in, in the introduction, but you are a member and a fellow of ACHE. Uh, we're proud to announce that uh, to the audience. But could you kind of just go over, uh, summarize quickly what this relationship with ACHE has done for you in your career? You know, let me start with the fact that, uh, as we've talked about, I've had the privilege and pleasure of working for Sutter Health now for over 10 years as a, a nonprofit integrated health system. So I have colleagues throughout our organization that are members of ACHE, um, as well as around the country and around the world. Those of us as fellows know that we are able to reach out and have open conversations with each other and learn from each other whether it's about systems or programs that we're trying to build or develop in the community, or whether it's about uh, mentoring advice and perspective. And in that way, uh, ACHEA distinguishes itself by creating this natural uh, community that comes with being a fellow, where you have the freedom to reach out to individuals where you may not otherwise feel comfortable in reaching out to or know how to reach out to them and they provide that platform. And that has been the case for me now for over 20 years of being a fellow. Um, and the impact, again, has been more meaningful work in the community, more meaningful career, because you have the leadership and mentoring to develop yourself and increase in terms of the types of positions that you take and the challenges of some of those positions. And then I'll just end with the incredible quality of education and information that, that gets disseminated by ACHE that left to one's own devices you may have may never learn or have, or if you tried, would take multiple, multiple hours to try to secure. And so the benefits of being a fellow have been tremendous and profound, and I'm really grateful for the individuals that have supported my career journey that have been a part of ACHE. And I'll just end with, you know, the uh, CEO of ACHE and her executive team and all the team that's a part of that ACHE family set the bar high and they're tremendous uh, individuals uh, that bring a lot. And so that alone is worth uh, being a fellow for. Well, doctor, we, we appreciate those words. And uh, obviously we're, we're, we're so happy to have you part of the ACHE family. So uh, again, we appreciate those comments. So you, folks, you know, uh, like we said at the top of this broadcast, this podcast, you know, the, the, the topic was behavioral health treatment and access in turbulent times, obviously in this pandemic time. And Dr. Boyd, you, you gave such incredible insight um, on such a complex issue. And I think you broke everything down and, and, and created this discussion moving forward that hopefully uh, a lot of folks listening will have and they will take some of this information and, and use it appropriately. So we, we really appreciate everything that you said during this podcast. And more importantly, we appreciate your time. We know you're a busy man. Chris, thank you so much. Thank you for the honor and privilege of talking about mental health and addiction care. And thank you for all that you're doing and ACHE is doing to ensure that mental health and addiction care uh, becomes a seamless, integrated uh, aspect of all of our collective human health. So really appreciate it, Chris. 
That's Dr. John Boyd. And folks, thank you for listening. This has been another Healthcare Executive Podcast. We'll see you next time. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ache.org.